0: G'day and welcome back to the Talking Leadership TV podcast series. My guest today is Christina Ryan. In 2016, Christina took one of the most radical steps in her long career of activism and change making. She put the two words disability and leadership into the same sentence. Her next step was founding the Disability Leadership Institute. Now, governments and major corporations use the term disability leadership, and Christina shares her experience and leadership knowledge with disability leaders all over the planet. The Disability Leadership Institute has become a global community of disability leaders supporting each other through a community. Community of practice and member groups. As a specialist coach, Christina now uses her decades of experience built through frontline disability rights activism, community sector management, systemic advocacy, working at the United Nations, and mentoring to build more disability leaders. Today, my discussion with Christina is going to focus on her leadership pathway. Can't wait to share the discussion with you, but enough from me and over to Christina. Christina, thank you for joining me today. Uh, This particular podcast is going to focus on your leadership journey as most of my podcasts do so let me start at the beginning your leadership and its beginnings give us a sense of what that looked like
1: that's interesting and it, it back I think to that big question which often comes up in my existence which is what is leadership anyway and you know there's there's positions of leadership so sure I've had some of those I've got one now I'm a CEO these days I've been a CEO, kind of labelled CEO for, well, I don't know, 15, 18 years, something like that. Um, I've been in senior management roles for or oh, maybe 25, 30 years actually. And, you know, so that's potentially leadership, except maybe it isn't, is it or isn't it? Um, and then there's leadership, which is around how we influence the world around us. How do we create ripples? What do we do um, to interact with the world around us and make it into a better place and I guess if if I look at that side of things which to me is more what leadership is about um is you know I'd be going right back to when I was a small kid when I was about eight I guess I started um changing the world actively um and making you know making a stand over issues that I thought were important and by the time I was in my mid-teens I was seriously into change-making and looking at what needs to be fixed, what happens. And, you know, that is probably a path that a number of people follow. Um, I had a a really big advantage in that I come from a family that's that kind of family. You know, we do stuff. We get out there and fix the world. That's what we do um, according to what we think it should look like, which is, you know, somewhat arrogant, you might say. But, um, you know, so I learned from some of the best and, and I've had, um, you know, in some ways a head start in being able to get things effectively shifted. And I, I guess I probably started being most proactive. I mean, I've grown up as a feminist, so I've been most proactive in the, in the women's movement. But then I moved in my teens. There was a lot of environmental activism that was going on, um, not unlike there would be for young folk today. And in those days it was around things like um, uranium mining, um nuclear weaponry in the pacific um testing bomb testing stuff like that and we also had um you know a big big peace movement back when i was younger and that was about actually not dying um, because we were all going to die and it's actually an interesting space because you know unless you lived through it you don't really get it but the you know that was back in the in the the height of the cold war when um at any moment you know most of the planet expected that we might just die um that the the nuclear weapons would start hurling across at each other because computers are the things that would make that happen and um and that we'd all find ourselves on a planet that was you know a cinder block in space and so there was a huge peace movement there were big rallies it was massive and Lots of people do things. And I think in that context you learn about the sort of person you are. Are you the kind of person who steps up and participates and decides you can make a difference and then there's a lot of different ways you can do that? Or are you the kind of person who waits for other people to fix things? And, you know, there's probably permutations, you know, let's get away from the binary. There's no such thing as as absolutes. Um, You know... It was really interesting to me to see that there was a really large proportion of the population at that time that were prepared to step up and say, enough, not okay, this can't happen. Parallel is not dissimilar to the current climate change movement, I would suggest. Um, And as I've grown older, I've come to realise that it's actually a very, very small proportion of the population who are politically engaged. actually monitor things who check on things who keep an eye on what's happening and speak up when they see injustice or um, the path that is going to lead to inequality or some of those sorts of things and it becomes harder and harder so it's it's been a difficult sort of space and so i've done all of those sorts of movements and then of course um about 30 years ago i started working in disability activism and disability rights, and particularly the intersection of gender and disability. Um, And that led me to a lot of work that was mainly voluntary while I was doing other paid work um, once I got back into the workforce. But then in the last decade and a half, I've actually combined the two. I've been able to combine my um, disability rights activism with my um, leadership work, my paid position leadership work and uh and being able to to use that, which means I also have the great um, joy of being able to um, make a, a big statement about employing disabled people and doing that um, properly. Um that is with proper wages, you know, and proper conditions and not not in, in secure positions. Um and that's been a different space and that's where I'm hanging out these days and it's it's where I've gravitated towards now over the last seven years that I've um, been running the Disability Leadership Institute. And it's specifically around recognising that there is a, a very big gap in leadership opportunities, development, growth, recognition for disabled leaders. And so that's what I do now. I've brought all of my things together and put them into that basket. And, um, and watching people grow and helping them to develop supporting them to build and you know create their own spaces and their own ripples and then watching them fly is is um you know what more can any so called leader want it, it, you know it's it's marvelous stuff so yeah um, I'm a very fortunate human i guess it's my leadership journey
0: hmm. and thank you for sharing that that um what you've done and uh the context in which you built that response is uh, something that people need to, I guess, engage with a bit more when you're talking about a leadership process, and it it is um, fortunate, I guess, that something that you're passionate about is in the DNA of the work of the paid work that you do. I I envy you that chance because a lot of people get into roles that aren't necessarily what their passion in life is, and sometimes you can't marry the two up. I'm, I'm a realist; you, you can't necessarily bring the two things together, but the context that got you into that leadership position is quite an interesting one. And I would suggest, again, I'm not backing this with any research, obviously, that people that work in that um, that social, uh, social good space, the activism, whatever that form of activ- activism is, that that can lead to roles in I guess the public and private sectors that help to push um, certain agendas that need to be discussed and and you brought up at the end there the um, working in the disability sector and that that has now been the focus of your uh, professional career. Now, you've given the very uh, detailed macro definition of leadership, but for you, if I was to get into the weeds just a little bit, what are the capabilities that you see are critical in Effective leadership from the experiences that you've had, Christina.
1: This is a this is a really big one, Eric, and it's an ongoing conversation in in leadershipy circles and in diversity and HR circles, and I'm in all of those spaces. And uh, something that I became fascinated by about a decade ago was management theory. Actually, it's two decades ago. Okay, I'm just going to fess up. 20 years ago, I became fascinated with management stuff and realising that management has almost nothing to do with leadership. Um, If you're really lucky, they intersect. Um, But what we know is that they actually don't. They often don't. And we end up with uh, people who um, feel really self-important because they've got a position that's got a title. And all of the people I've known who are, Leaders, you know, people that people look to, people that people are inspired by, people that people want to follow, whatever that means, um, or emulate, are often not people who see themselves as leaders. And sometimes owning that leadership label is one of the hardest things to do, is to own the space um, and to recognise the influence, the power that can come with that inspirational transforming role Um, and you know we get managers who actually can destroy people who can micromanage them out of existence and so it it is a really interesting zone you know what is leadership really and you know these days I'm a leadership coach and I run leadership development programs so it's it's my gig it's what I do Um, I came to understand that I had to turn around one day and have a look at myself and admit that I was one of those people that other people followed. And I don't quite know when that realisation hit me. Um, You know, it, it just did. And with it, I felt an enormous weight of responsibility to support the people who were looking to me for leadership, And, of course, I haven't always provided it. Sometimes I've been um, that person who is not a great leader, Um, somebody who actually shuts things down or stops a conversation when it should have happened. But as I've gotten more aware, more self-aware, which I think is a very big factor in good leadership, um, I've come to understand how to slow things down, how to support people to speak up in a space where they don't feel confident, how to back them. And I think one of the biggest things I've learned over the years and something that I really have noticed in other people who I admire as leaders is that it's not about them. You know, leadership isn't about you. The minute it's about you, um, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. Because that's not leadership, that's ego. Um, To me, leadership is about recognising the level of power and influence that you carry. And it's come from somewhere. I mean, I've told you some of my history. You know, I've I've got skills and abilities that have brought me to here and now, recognising that those skills and abilities have actually created a situation where people look to me to make change or to be the person who speaks up. Now I can still do that or I can actually start creating other people, building other people who are actually able to do that as well. And so, you know, it is about spreading it around. It is about it's not about me and it's it's often about creating space so that others can move in and also start creating influence and making change.
0: Yeah, I, I really like um, where you're headed with that and I, if you'll allow me, I, I've picked up two very key um issues that you've brought up one is is about what makes effective leaders effective and i think you hit it the nail on the head and and you didn't use this terminology but i'll use it and and ask you what you think is about not just being a self-reflective leader practitioner but asking yourself the questions could i have done something better you said sometimes i shut conversations down now that that's that's i guess there's a degree of self reflective and criticism there of yourself but at least you're awake enough to know that that happened and that you can't be doing that if one of your pillars of good of sorry not good effective leadership is trying to help build others and you can do leadership not always at the front but being at the back and supporting people that need that step up on the come up and that um that's something i often think even effective leaders forget that we all started at a junior level and had to work our way up through a career. And if your focus in a career is to be uh, a great leader or be someone that inspires others to do uh, or lead to change, then you had to start somewhere too, and you had people that were your mentors and templates and whatever the, the best terminology there is to get your practice uh, up and going. So that that's the first observation. Then. The second one that I really like is it's about other people, right? Um, it, it, leadership as a process is a people thing, and you hit the nail on the head. And I, I, I'm i starting to believe more and more, and this is just a personal thing, that um, those that really seek leadership and really want the mantle are people that probably shouldn't be leaders for lots of different reasons. Um, any views on what I've just said there? Do you agree? Do you vehemently disagree? <laughs>
1: I, I I do think that I mean you know if we go back to that ego statement you know if if it is about you um, I, I've met people whose sole purpose in what they think of as leadership is because they want to be famous. Just think, uh, maybe you're not the person. <laughs> um, you know that's uh, it's, it's a conversation I often have with uh, my colleagues at the Disability Leadership Institute. Is you know some of us end up having profiles. You know we get a bit of notoriety and um, you know, if, you, if you're trying to achieve that, then it usually doesn't work. It's it's about recognising that sometimes that's where your work takes you. Um, sometimes it is about the, the role of stepping up is about you getting in the front. Um, but more and more, I'm also aware that some of the most effective leaders in history have been people who have built other people. They've been alongside and then they've moved to the background. And because of... Grown up in movements, in change movements, and I've been a part of various social change movements for most of my existence. Well, probably all of it, really. I've often been in the room when there's been conversations about, well, who's going to do this? Or somebody saying, well, why is it always me? You know, there's nobody stepping up to take over. And the first question I have is, what have you been doing to create those people? because people will step up and and step in um, if you step back and give them the space. And so one of the questions I often have now when I support people with things like media training, you know, I don't do media training, but I've done plenty and I've um, done plenty of media as well. And uh, one of the things I often say to people is why is it that you you that has to do this particular interview or that you that has to be out front on this one is there really no one else and these days when i'm contacted by various media because they know me so they'll give me a call i will usually refer them to other people who are the people that they should be speaking to And there's a number of reasons behind that. One of them is that I no longer have a representative role, so I should not be speaking for the disability community because I'm not actually in that position at the moment. So that's an ethical thing. Let's talk about ethics and leadership. That's huge. Um, But the other one is that there are plenty of other people who could be doing it, who might be more up to date on the issue, who are the people who are coming through, who should be doing it. Now, I'm not... You know, by any stretch of the imagination, I'm not done yet. You know, I'm certainly not old enough to be finished yet. And the women in my family go till we're in our 90s. So I've got plenty of decades ahead of me. But one of the things that I am aware of is that my role has shifted. I've changed into a different position. And that my position now is much more one of support, um, cheering, you know, being the cheer squad um, of letting people you know, helping people to understand what they're actually able to achieve, um, naming it when I see them do amazing stuff, all of those things, and also being there, um, which I do a lot, being there for people when things don't go so great and and being that person without judgment because we've all stuffed up, you know. We've all done stuff that we think, oh, fringe, you know, that really happened. Um and, of course, in the disability community, there's often also those days when, when, you know, we're not at our peak when we might be tired or we haven't had enough sleep or something like that and uh, and it doesn't quite come out right. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, sometimes we have to just own that, that that's how we are that day. And so I think leadership really is about, you know, I... I do something that's called vertical leadership uh, which is about you know how many tree rings you're growing and how you progress in life and uh, it's the way you operate not, not what you've achieved if you want to look at it that way and there's a shift that you can see and it's something I always like to do and it's something I like to talk about when I'm delivering training is are you an I person or a we person and you know, observing the people around you and observing the people that you admire, and and you know, are they I people or we people? The I people are, are there about them, it's it's their space. It's very narrow cast. They're more likely to shut someone down and not want to hear what they have to say because they think their opinion's more important, or they think they're right. But the we people. People who get alongside people, they're collaborators. They'll actually start asking questions, wanting to know the different perspectives in the room. They become more facilitators than the experts, the judges. And I I think, you know, there's some really interesting stuff in that space that we just haven't allowed ourselves as a community to really explore enough. And it's a really invigorating space. It's very, um, stimulating and it, it gives you a sense of deeper conversation, which of course we don't seem to do enough of.
0: Yeah. Oh, hundred percent agree. I I really like the that last point around leadership, the leadership process and leaders in particular being facilitators of leadership and facilitators of a process, uh, uh um whatever that what whatever that might look like. And uh, it comes back to this idea, uh, and I've and I've spoken to others about this, and I'll, I'll test this with you if you'll allow me. Is are leaders, coaches, are they mentors, or are they trainers, or some combination of those things as the situation requires them to be? And I I was really quite fascinated when you said I I'm happy to be the cheerleader in the background. Now that that takes um. high degree of self-reflection to go, you know what, I don't always need to be up the front and I think as you progress in a career and I think for me personally, I'm very much in agreement with you, I've tried and, and had some degree of success as a leader but now that I'm no longer in the front and I'm doing my own thing, I don't miss that anymore and I'm glad to help others to be the person up the front as much as is humanly possible uh, to do because um, the, the limelight's great for a little while. Once you have your 15 minutes and you can do some things and make some change and help some other human beings, I think there's a point at which you get a bit over it and you go, look, I've done my bit. I'm not the only one with a view here. There are other people that may have superior views, more um, more considered views. That that idea of facilitation is an interesting one and I, I guess – and I don't think I'm speaking out of school here, that your experiences in change movements would orient you that way, that you want to see what other people have to think. It's not just about you. Otherwise, you're not part of a movement. It's just you with an idea going off on your own tangent. Does that does that kind of make sense?
1: It certainly does. There are there are people who think that they are the only person who can make a certain change. And, of course, sure. if you you know, how many, how many billions of us are? There's about 7 billion of us now. Um, You know, honestly, are you unique? Uh, no no you're not unique by any stretch um you know you might be the only one of you within truly of you but um there's always going to be others out there who 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 have what you've got i'll go back to that vertical leadership concept and it is a thing you know google vertical leadership there's a whole bunch of stuff about it folks um without me going into leadership theory because you know how tiresome um but well no it's just a different conversation to today because i could actually talk under wet cement about leadership but um the I go back to that concept because what we actually know in vertical leadership is the more developed leaders are the more they move into what we might call that inspiring leader that transformative person the people who spark change so they might be seen as leaders of movements but that doesn't mean they're necessarily at the front and yes there is going to be a natural connection between that sort of person and being a mentor being a role model being somebody who inspires others because you're actually the sort of person that people gravitate towards that people want you know people want to be like you and it's it's actually it it took me a while to I still haven't got used to it I've never got used to it but it's happened to me a number of times in my existence very awkward moments when somebody will come up to me after a conference or, you know, some sort of thing that I've done and and um and say, oh, I'd like, I'd like to grow up to be you. And I think thinking, well, yeah, you probably don't. Um, you know, there I am sitting there in my very large piece of hardware, you know, and and uh, you know, I've got all sorts of things going on in my life that I certainly don't want to have a part of. What they're actually saying is that there's some way that I'm operating that is inspiring to them. Now, you know, I can't name that. Only they can name what that is. Only they know what's actually um, hitting home and, and cutting cutting in for them. Well, that's great. You know, if, if somebody does that for you, name what it is and why. And it's one of the questions I like to ask people, you know, is who is a leader you admire and why? And it often really creates difficulty for people and they start thinking you know they they know they've got these people in their life that are their role models their mentors and I've certainly got some I've had I've had some of the best I've been extremely privileged and fortunate in the mentors that I've had in my time Um, pretty much all of whom are dead now um, because that's what happens Um, very sad Um, but you know there's some reason why you look to that person there's something about them you know, was it their absolute forthright courage, the fact that they took no bullshit, you know, they'd just get in there and do what needed to be done? They were the one who would get in there and speak. Or was it the way they were always incredibly considered and allowed everyone to say something before they asked a question? Um, or what, <laughs> you know? Is it the way they made you feel? Because we actually remember how people make us feel more than anything else. That's inspiring. That's what inspiring is. And when we can identify how people make us feel, whether they make us feel strong or brave or make us feel um, intelligent, um, whatever intelligence is, make us feel that that we have what it takes, Um that's role models, that's mentors. I suppose role models are people we look to and mentors are one we actually end up having a relationship with who who give it to us directly, um, who help us to understand how it might be done. And I think it is very much a part of good leadership, and I'm going to call it good in in that context, um, is to be aware that you will play that part with people you're going to find yourself in that position and you've got some options there you can run away from it or you can recognize it's there and take responsibility for what it looks like
0: yeah I was I was going to say um and you brought this up and this brings it to uh uh the sharp end for me is leadership is a choice in a lot of ways and when you make that choice and um it's my podcast, so I'll say what I'm gonna say next. Uh, you take the shit and the good that comes with that. And uh that there's some responsibility there because that that um example you gave, and I think it's a great one because I've I've been the person that's gone up to people that have presented and said, I really want to do what you do, I want to be like you. A- and that is often off-putting for the person you're saying that to, because you're like, What did I do to inspire this? And you're like, well, this is on you, so I don't have an answer for this. I'm going to go outside and grab a coffee, bye-bye. And they sort of remove themselves from that situation. But when you think about when you say that, yeah, they've triggered a feeling in you that's gone, I'm inspired to do something like what you're doing. And so because uh, humans being humans, we don't often sit back and try and get the right set of words. You'll blurt out what necessarily is on the tip of your tongue and may not exactly be what you meant to say. But I've seen it before another leaders and the idea idea of taking on a leadership position is to take a certain degree of responsibility because you can't ever get away from the fact that you're dealing with other human beings and if you're not then what are you leading if you're not leading people then you're doing something and it, it's potentially not uh, the leadership process uh, christina let me ask you um one additional follow-up here because we've all been through this process, a post-COVID-19 world, right? We went through COVID-19 being discussed, and it will be discussed for decades to come, I'm sure, on its impact on leadership. From your perspective, did you think, or do you think, sorry, that COVID-19 had an impact on the leadership process in your estimation, or is it too early to tell, or where is your thinking on that?
1: I think it actually was pretty much upfront, very early in the piece, and this cuts back to what we were just talking about, you know, how people speak. Um, There's something about good leadership for me which is about ethics and integrity. It's about understanding that you have influence and that that is front of mind. You don't really have to be switching on that awareness. It's always with you. And There are people who think leadership is about a position of power or having power over others. That's not leadership, that's control. That's a very different situation. And I think one of the things that became very clear very early in the pandemic is that we had an awful lot of people in positions of authority who had no leadership ability whatsoever and, in fact, who were very damaging as a result. Um, in some countries, that resulted in hundreds of thousands of people dying to prove some political point for somebody. Now, that's not leadership. You know, if we look at the ethical element of this and the fact that how I say something, how we talk, you know, that person coming up to me after a conference, the first time it's a bit creepy, after that you kind of decide you're going to have to work out how to deal with it. Um, is recognising that that one moment in existence that you're currently in the middle of will have enormous influence and ripples for a long time. So the responsibility side of leadership is about recognising that what you say then does matter. Turning up the next day to say, oh, no, I I misspoke. I think, who invented that? I mean, what spin? Um, The reality is what you say does matter, how you say it, how you open to people or squash people is all part of it. And I think the pandemic gave us some really good examples of the kind of leadership that humanity doesn't really want, that we don't really feel we should be looking to. And I think it's been evidenced by the fact that since then we've had an increasing number of people that have come to the, you know, sort of come to the fore globally who are people that people are inspired by. And the first thing that we notice is that those people who are in positions of authority but they're not really good at leadership feel threatened. They actually start to behave in a way that's interesting. They shut down conversations or they sling mud um, Sometimes they even put people in prisons. You know, in some countries, at the moment in Russia, for example, if you speak against um, the people in authority, you can end up in prison for it. Um, in other countries, that's also happening. And that's because people feel threatened. They know they're not up for it. So it's a, it's a really interesting space. And I don't, you know, you've got to go through stuff to understand how other people feel. You know, it's not just empathy, it's also understanding, it's also a certain amount of wisdom, not necessarily involved with age, it's actually about the way you look at people and how you interact with them. So pandemic's been a nice lesson in leadership, um, or bad leadership, uh, but it's also been a really good guidebook for us in ways that we might want to, again, going back to that question, why are we inspired by some of these people? What is it they're doing for us? What can we think about that we might learn from that?
0: Yeah, 100%. I also think in my heart of hearts that those that are the lead, our teams, the people that make up our organisations, the human human beings that are inspired by you to whatever degree, they're going to set more of the agenda around what good leadership looks like for them. And um, hopefully those in positions of authority authority have the nows to listen to that and understand what that means. And and a big one for me that I've seen happening is the way we're structuring work at the moment. So hybrid working arrangements, work from home, people are deciding and making it more clear to recruiters and potential employers, yeah, I'd love to work here, but I've got some needs that I need met to be able to give you 100%. If you can't do that, I'll take my labour somewhere else. And that um I think that's a byproduct of the pandemic. Um, as as for the discussion around what did ineffective leadership look like. And and you made, I think, a really strong and important point that I I think needs to be talked about more is some leaders that have the title are necessarily highly paid managers looking to command and control as the way to do their business. Whereas good, effective, great leaders don't do that. Um, that That's, you know, the the managerial side of the leadership process is an essential, I guess, to get things done. But that's not where the leadership discussion, the leadership process is. It sits around people. It sits around uh, uh, a collective understanding that uh, we all have to get to an end point and how we get there is necessarily pegged out by the leader, but you've got you've got to have people that can make it happen, because unfortunately, you do meet some leaders that think they can do it all or have the definitive answer. And what I think COVID did was throw a spanner works in in the works and say, "Well, you've got a three year plan that's now out the window. How you're going to retool <laughs> to deal with the new environment?" And I, I, I think you've got something to say. So, what what what's your view on that, Christina? Look, well,
1: you said something there, Eric, that I think is is really crucial here. Is Leaders who think they've got the answer. And to me, that's another one of those red flags. If you think you've got the answer, then you're probably in the wrong place because, actually, how is it that you know what, what the answer is? I mean, we've all got expertise, but there's no absolutes here. We're talking about human beings. And the most effective teams and organisations are the ones where people have a high degree of autonomy, where they're trusted to do their jobs, where they actually choose to follow their team leaders, not where it's imposed on them. Those teams are far more effective. They actually work faster. They do a hell of a lot more. Um, they often look like they're much bigger than they really are, those those sorts of teams. Um, and yet we've got people who think they know the answer. And, um, you know, I actually heard Bill Gates of all people um talking you know a month or so back and he was saying you know if if you think you you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room but he's absolutely right in my opinion um you know if if there's if there's not someone there that you can learn from then go out and get some other people around you
0: yeah agreed i i am a big advocate for lifelong learning and one of the things that I think I take to heart is if I'm in a, a room, whatever that room is, whether it's in a professional context or not, I'm always trying to listen out for a bit of uh, a nugget of goal that I, I can incorporate in my own thinking that helps me be a better human being. Um, that that I think is often a good um, a good process for me because I've I've never been in a room where I've ever thought I'm it or I'm the smartest person in the room and I tend to wait. And let others speak before I say my piece, because I, I need to listen to what others are thinking before I just insert a view um, into the room. Now, that took a while for me to do in my younger years, uh, like I think we all do. Um, we, we sort of think we have the answer. And then when we're caught out or it's demonstrated to us that maybe there's a better way to get to a end point, it either it's either a defining moment for how you think or it's never going to impact you and unfortunately there are many people that like you've described that think they have the answer irrespective of those around them and they'll they'll get eventually found out but that has a, a very darker side to it and that um is the space in which toxic leaders play and that that's a whole nother discussion that we can have around yeah. what 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 does bad look like and I, I think, without going into a lot of detail here, I think if you haven't experienced bad leadership, you're limiting your potential growth as a leader yourself because you need to see what bad looks like to be able, in my estimation, to work out mm. what is good. Because if you've only I ever wonder, had... Sorry, I think
1: you... we've, I think we've all seen bad leadership. I think we all know what it looks like because it's all around us. It's all around us. It's almost a constant, ever-present thing. And, of course... Global politics over the last mm, decade, ten or fifteen years, has actually headed in that direction. You know, the, the people who are really divisive, who need to be in control, and you know, somehow, you know, they they go to great lengths to change the constitution so they can stay there, or they, you know, decide that they'll appoint all the judges to the court so they don't end up in prison. You know, this <laughs> we've seen plenty of it. Um, it's out it's out there, or the people who just make us feel small. Um. You know, it comes in all sorts of guises. I think what we don't do enough of is actually have a conversation about what is good leadership, what is effective leadership, why is it that some people inspire us, why is it so changing for us, not just as individuals but as communities and as as population groups, to have those people who who make us think and who inspire us and who shift the ground. And and for some of us, why is that so threatening? Why is that such a challenge? Is it because it makes us feel incompetent? Um, is it because we feel that suddenly someone's turned up that we know we just are never going to be as good as they are, in our opinion, good, whatever good is? Um, so it, I don't think we have that conversation enough about what good leadership really is. And some people just think it's longevity, but the reality is, um, you know, good leaders sort of fade away because, again, go as we were saying earlier, end up in the background, you know, you don't see them. And even people like the Dalai Lama and Nelson Mandela moved into this kind of um, shadow space of of not being in the front and, and you know, they, they, they receive visitors, they receive visitors, but they don't, um, they don't actually expect to be the ones saying things. I think, you know, this is these are some of the examples we can look to that give us a sense of, hmm, why do we think that's good leadership? Why is that inspiring? Why do we want to be like that person?
0: Yeah, I, I agreed. One, one thing I would add that um, in addition to that not having the conversation enough, and I, I, I do very strongly agree with you that it's not hard about what does good look like what does it feel like it's also asking the question of our elders those that have left the world of work and say well you you're in an industry or multiple sectors for 40 50 60 years what the hell did good look like in that and there's a lot of our elder our states men and women that we don't um interact enough with and your example there of of people like a Nelson Mandela or others that have gone faded into the background i think it's more realizing in in, in their circles and i'm and i'm reaching here but I'll, I'll use this example that that idea of now sitting back and letting others have a crack is part of it too because uh, a name carries some weight if you've done some things in a life or experienced some very harrowing things you've got something to teach others, but there's also others going through that as well. Like you said, we're not all if you think you're unique and you're the only one out of seven billion and you're the shining star, maybe there's some problems with that. <laughs> you need to get a bit more interest about things. But definitely uh this this the the idea of um drawing inspiration from others and asking others, well what does good look and feel like why we don't do it more, I don't know. What? Why do you think? I, I really don't have an answer for that.
1: I, I, I genuinely believe at the moment, I've been talking a lot this current week that we're in about the sheer amount of work that we do. I mean, particularly as Australians, you know, we all work far too many hours. We're doing too much stuff. Um, we've actually created a world where we just don't have time, where we move so fast. And if we don't move fast, there's something wrong with us. And what that has effectively done is it's prevented us from having time to think, from time to sort of posit, from time to have a, a bit of a process, a bit of a think, a bit of a that introspective moment about why am I thinking about this this way? And, you know, we've all done it. I, I did it last night where we, you know, have some sort of thought yesterday but then overnight our brain does a bit of processing and then we have that middle of the night moment where we think, oh, hang on, what about this angle? Um, We don't give ourselves enough time. I think it's as simple as that. And we can actually use our 168 hours a week, which we all have exactly the same of. We can use them differently. We don't have to use them the same way. We can slow ourselves down and still get the same amount of stuff done. But we're all rushing around like headless chooks trying to, i don't know what you know and and it's you know australia's got this massive burnout rate um it's it's really a serious issue and i I know entire workplaces that that you know like 90 something percent burnout rate now how on earth we expect anything to be coming out of spaces where there's no time to think or or do is is a thing so let's give ourselves the space Give ourselves the credit and the respect in some ways. Um, give ourselves the respect to be able to do what needs to be done without thinking that that requires us to flog ourselves unmercifully. Because, again, that's actually, I mean, it's poor management as much as anything. It's, it's horrific.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I can hear in the background noise of of leadership and managerial discussions, the idea that what we're talking about here is the soft skills and it's not the hard and fast of what you need in the workplace. And I would I would uh, argue quite vehemently that because we don't have some of these conversations at that, that degree of burnout and that inability to take, you know, 10, 15 minutes out of a day to just clear your head and think is something um, we don't do as, as a norm and i think leaders in particular if you're going to stay fresh and relevant and uh grounded in some degree of reality that if you don't take some time to think about what it is that you're doing and and your why the why of your processes i think important but you know this is um this is something we're not we're not going to solve here but it's it's nice to say out loud because i i think it's um when you want people to have conversations the reason they're not sometimes in my belief this is an opinion is that they're dangerous conversations to have because you don't exactly know where they're going to lead to or what is potentially going to be discussed. And that pisses some people off and makes some people uncomfortable. And um, I'm glad to hear that you're one of the people that is quite happy to have that conversation. Oh, and, lean
1: into yeah. it. Discomfort. Why are you uncomfortable? Lean into it. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, and, and that's where innovation comes from. It's the exciting place. Do it. You know, if you're feeling a bit jiggled around, it's like, oh, what's that about?
0: Christina, final question for you, and I ask this in all my podcasts: the nature versus nurture question. Are leaders born or are they made?
1: Oh, it's a tough one, and I'm going to go with a bit of both. I think there are people who who are, in some ways, born into it in the in the sense of privilege. And I would be one of those people. I've been born into a space where, where you know, I come from a family where every single one of us are those people who can make change. And, my God, it can be very difficult when we're all in the same room together because, you know, everybody feels like they know what should be done. Um, but I wouldn't be a leadership coach if I didn't think there was, a certain, you know, a big chunk of nurture in it. Growing people is is possible. If people are given this time, the space, the energy, I think there's a lot more nurture in it than there is, you know, born to it. Some people naturally have talents, but we also all have an ability um, can be supported. Not everyone's going to end up in the, in the front line or being that inspiring person. I think that is, you know, a combination of factors that turn up in certain people and then gets nurtured. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't grow into that zone in some way yeah, yeah to, it is open to everyone it's definitely open to everyone
0: yeah it's a interesting response i'm i'm, I'm probably an 80 20 person 80 percent nurtured and 20 percent. there's just some combination of skill sets and people that if nurtured then so it's, it's almost like the two go together there's um there's always uh what's that um infinite ability, I guess, for people to shape themselves into whatever they want, but there has to be decisions made about do you want to do that and do you have the environment to do that? Because like you said, if you've got a nurturing environment and you said, you know, have your family around you that are all uh, big thinkers and leaders and and have uh, strong opinions and uh, are happy to test them out loud, um, having the environment to do that's important and sometimes that's not there or, or it can be built as in you can build on um, those networks, if you choose to do that. So, Christina Ryan, thank you, mate. Um, did you want to say something before we finish? No, on?
1: I was going. I was going to say the thing I will be very clear about is I think environmental factors are massive. Uh, one of the things we know in the disability community is that it's the environment that disables us and people's attitudes. So, it's not just about toughening up. Um, it's actually about recognizing that people might very much be in a situation where they are unable to break through um, what are fundamentally insurmountable barriers that are being tricked in their their direction. Um, And I think that's where we need to recognise. Nurture means having a space where you actually are, you have the privilege around you of being able to develop. And I think probably the majority of people on our planet do not have the privilege of that space. And that's something that we might as leaders have a think about creating. Mm
0: -hmm. Agreed. Christina, thank you for your time today, mate.
1: Thanks so much, Eric. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you.
0: These podcasts are not possible without the help of my guests. So I'd really like to thank Christina for sharing her insights into this thing called leadership and in particular, her leadership pathway. If you like today's content, please drop a like on this episode or alternatively, you can help me grow the channel by becoming a subscriber. Stay safe, have a great rest of your week and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.